history with the podcast guy, Matt King. Hey everybody, thank you for listening to our podcast. Unfortunately, for some, our topics that we talk about may be offensive to some people. The topics that we discuss could also be triggers, and we want you to be aware of that. If you are in need of help, please talk to a professional, a family member, or a friend. We are not medical professionals, and we don't claim to be. We are just two guys with a microphone and a platform. Please listen with discretion. Welcome to This Time in History, guys. I'm Matthew, and we're back again with another interview covering the 2022 municipal election. Guys, remember that voting day is October 24th. Early voting is the 7th to the 14th of October. Get out and vote. The only way to affect change is to be part of it. With me today, he's running for Ward 9, Davenport. His name is Jacob Medansky. I hope I said that right. You got it right. Welcome to the show, Jacob. Hi, thank you for having me, Matthew. Now, um, you registered relatively late. Um, I'm just wondering if... Well, we'll get to your platform in a bit, but uh, for now, just I just want you to just engage with the listeners and maybe answer the questions. Why are you running? Why this election? And why now? Um, so generally, the reason why I'm running is I became aware of the election through a post on Reddit. Someone had posted and said that there aren't many incumbents to many of the ridings and the seats. And I thought to myself, this might be an interesting thing to pick up given my background and experience. Uh, I studied economics in school. And from there, I've been working in the various roles and jobs. I, I worked at a scrapyard after that. Then after that, I worked in corporate jobs. And right now I'm working in film. As in the meantime, I was an Uber driver as well. So I've had the experience of kind of all tiers of labor, I would say, from blue collar to white collar. I worked in negative 40 to plus 40. 4 a.m. till 4 a.m. in the morning again. Um, and I just felt compelled because I thought maybe there has been a lack of apathy in our system. People haven't shown much care. And especially someone in my age group, trying something like this is a large venture. It's no easy task. And I wanted the experience and kind of the test of seeing what it would take, what it involves, and the whole kind of array of politics because trying something is the best way to learn it. I know the experience of an Uber driver because I was an Uber driver. I know the experience of someone who works outside because I worked outside. I know the experience of someone who works behind a desk for eight hours a week because I worked at a desk eight hours a week. All these experiences and the knowledge I've picked up along the way have kind of made me believe that the system can be run a little bit better and reward those that work hard in it. Um, I've always had a love for politics. Uh, I have a love for economics. Uh, there's many writers and people that inspire me. And I just want to question and kind of interact with the system, see what it entails and see, and just kind of experience it. I'd love to win. Anybody would love to win. Uh, I understand what it takes. It takes a lot of work and I'm working a full-time job as well as trying to run for politics and I'm running late. And even so more, I'm running in a war that I, I just moved into in August. It's a wild gander, but I think because I've lived in Toronto 20 years, I've lived in the GTA as well. I've lived in Vaughan, Mississauga, Etobicoke, Scarborough. I've lived everywhere. 
I see my parents experience life in the city, my grandparents experience life in the city, and I feel the quality of it is deteriorating. So I want to try and do better. And my whole platform is affordability and accountability because I we seem to be lacking in both. That's my spiel. You're you're preaching to the choir, absolutely. Accountability because we can't hold any of them accountable of the current registration, uh, uh, the current administration, because none of them are accessible. Mm-hmm. Amen. I mean, what, even if you want to. I mean, when, when's the last time you called your counselor's office and you got a call back in an acceptable time? And an acceptable time to me is 24 hours. I tried to set up a call with Anna. And uh, what happened was I, I gave a platform of questions because I wanted I wanted to learn from experience. I think wisdom is learning from experience. I was told I'm not allowed to ask for advice from a city councilor who's leaving because that qualifies as some kind of cheating or using the system. If wisdom from past experience is cheating, how do we as a society move forward? And as, as well, when I tried to organize the call, she did not interact and clearly ignored me, even though that was set up by her chief of staff. Now. I'm not going to besmirch her name. She's leaving. She's done a great job. And the people that live in this ward that I talked to do actually approve of her services. And she only lost the election by 76 votes. So she did make an impact in this community and people did like her uh, time in, in the chair. But I agree. There are certain reasons and ways we need to connect better with city council. I mean, I can bring up examples of it, but go on you know that that's uh it's a funny story i've never told this story before that i'm about to tell you but i can relate because um you know for the last 12 years i've been wanting to run it's never been the right time however uh was not this uh, uh it wasn't 2016 i think it was 20 20 20 uh no 2014 by 14 i was like hmm, should i run should i run so i had contacted um I'm not going to say who, but I'm, yeah. I, I had contacted someone who worked in somebody's office um, and they basically told me to leave them alone, take a flying leap somewhere. Oh, no. I'm just asking for, you know, hey, what, this is how I feel. What, what should I do? Um, you know, what, what, what do you because I thought. I never met the person that I asked this to, but from everything that I have read in the newspapers, because this person's been in the newspapers, I mean, they were, they were, they, 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 you know, it's like they knew what they were talking about. And so I I took the opportunity and I was, yeah. So that happened. And uh, so I feel you there. Uh, It's, it's not nice. And I don't understand how your situation that would be considered cheating. I don't get that. I asked for advice about campaigning. I guess that's not allowed, but. uh, But who are you supposed to ask? I know. I mean, exactly. It makes (laughs) no sense. Uh, And just look, even from that uh, small microcosm, there's no accountability from the top down. And I'm not going to go into all the other politics of our nation, but I mean, it feels from talking to people provincially, they're not listened to locally. They're not listened to and federally. They're not listened to. So, I mean, who's going to set the example? Absolutely. You're preaching to the choir. Um, So uh, am I correct in, uh, in assuming that um, because you, you, um, you, you started late and you're just fleshing out your, your, um, Sorry about that. Uh, your your um, 
Oh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. So you're just you're fleshing out your your um your platform. Have you started your community engagement or your door knocking? And if so, what kinds of things are you hearing? So I started door knocking, um, and I talk to people generally from the door to door crowd. I'm getting the notion that city noise is a big issue. I mean, this is small in the neighborhoods. That's one aspect, and I heard a really good idea of switching more of the buses to electric, which I mean, in terms of transit, I think makes sense. And I guess generally they want more enforcement of no big trucks driving through the city streets, but it's hard to maintain or do such a program because the city cops, they generally don't enforce a lot of those traffic bylaws because even as an Uber driver in those non-driving areas, you could still drive and in certain people's neighborhoods that it's noise. On, on the first level, the second level I heard was crime. Uh, some people were worried, and even where I live uh, at Dupont and Lansdowne, there is a large kind of gathering of uh, generally on uh, people that aren't less fortunate, and you could see that with more kind of protection or at least coverage by police officers or people in general, that it could be safer here to walk at night. Uh, I, as a man, do not feel scared, but I could see since there's gathering of people at, that there's a coffee shop near my area that could be dangerous to some people. And I could see them and understand them being nervous and afraid. So just better enforcement, I, I would say. But, yeah. okay. uh, so this is the part where I just like to talk uh, briefly about uh, different subjects. So I'd like to start with the budget. Um, you know, it's not a secret that this city is bleeding money. We have a $1.6 billion backlog in TCHC repairs. Um, we have the TTC saying that they're going to be half a billion dollars short in their funding, according to their own numbers. Meanwhile, Mr. CEO gets a 21% increase. And I, I mean, I, I've got tons of examples I could I could give you. But the, the theme is, is that the, the city funds are being mismanaged. And I'm wondering uh, what your thoughts are on that, uh, what you think needs to happen, and what do you see in terms of the budget for uh, the next four years of council? So 32% of the budget is property tax. That's a necessary component. If you own a home, generally I think your home value has gone up, not for everyone per se, but in the last five, 10 years, it has gone up. Property taxes will stay the way they are, I'm assuming, but I'd like to lower cost of living other ways. But I think how we better improve the budget is promote things like cheaper user fees, because I have builders and people that I know in my circle that are telling me that it's so hard to pass through these permits in the city, even if you're a public or private resident, and maybe that cost kind of constraint of being too expensive is pricing out people that want to do lower accommodations to their own home. Let's say you want to build a bigger home, like just in terms of maybe another unit, if you want to make it a rental, you can't do these things because of the zoning orders in the city, especially in my ward. Now, Davenport has a lot of multi-residential units coming up. So the big builders are being allowed to have these multi-unit story housing. That's okay. It's going to accommodate and provide for housing. But we need to make it such that it provides rental housing too. But in terms of the budget, I would generally say it has to be uh, a kind of a means where we can't, we face COVID. COVID was our biggest problem. We spent a lot of money municipally on 
dealing with it, managing it, and having it become a part of our lives for the first two years. It's okay to run a small deficit. Deficits are a part of life. Now, the way we fix that deficit is like our own personal budget. We cut back on our own spending. If we could lower some of the costs in government and maybe make it cheaper or do things cheaper or be more efficient or cut the bloat, cut the fat, whatever expression that's popular these days, it should be looked at, managed, and maintained. I mean, we have a lot of these bureaucratic roles that are, they generally maybe could add a, a sense of culture, but they don't add value. And government's job is to be an impartial ref in the system, not to kind of come in and dictate how you should live your life, what messaging you should see day to day, but kind of keep up with what the city needs and wants. Uh, you talked about how we didn't have access to uh, our counselors. They're tearing down Wallace Emerson, that, that park there as a hockey rink, and they're going to make it smaller. And everybody that plays hockey there didn't even know about this because apparently only 50 people signed a petition. Wow. So, and there's 3,000 or more people that play hockey there. So it's like these people, they want their hockey rink. And as a Canadian, I'm a tennis player. I love tennis courts. It would be unfair of you to just rip down a tennis court with very little public knowledge or outpouring when we had billboards and campaigns for days about getting vaccines here and there, which are good. But we had a 90% vaccine rate as a province, as a country. So, I mean, people were getting the vaccine. They were just kind of targeting so aggressively and spending so much and spending on these apps that didn't work, spending here, spending on last plans, spending all, all the ways they could. But instead of just kind of maintaining community services that need to be there. I mean, a hockey rink is essential to Canadian culture, in my opinion. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? In my neighborhood, when they're ripping up a road, we get a, we get a notice a week in advance. No, no kind of notice for the, for the hockey rink. No, there needs to be better communication. Absolutely. We've established that the government can communicate with us when they want us to do something, they can communicate with us. They showed it to us. There's an let emergency me, response system. Let, so, let me, let me, let me butt in for a second there. Sorry. Uh, your outgoing counselor, uh, counselor Bilo, correct? Yeah. So I, I'm curious because I don't know the answer to this question. Does she have a constituency office located in your ward? She does. She so, does have one. So I, I know you just moved there. So maybe, uh, maybe you can, I, I, I don't know if you can answer this. How often would you say that she's actually there listening to constituents versus how often she's at city hall? I could not honestly answer that. That's not fair of me to speculate. That's, I think. Okay, let's let's that, flip let's yeah. let's flip it on on you. Predicated okay. you, predicated you winning the councilor seat. What would that look like for you in terms of your your splitting your time? I mean, I would love more community engagement. I think that's that's key. Uh, I would love to be able to speak with people. I, I've met with people. I, I've done sales before. That was part of my job. I've always worked even in restaurants where I was customer facing. I mean, customer facing is part of who I am. And if you want to get into politics, you have to face the public. I think she's on, she's probably on her way out. So she's not as focused. I mean, the job is pretty much ending soon, mm -hmm. but I, I honestly don't know. I, I would hope she did her job well and saw as many people as possible. But from my interaction and how I was ignored, if that was followed on a wide scale, that wouldn't be good. But I can't speak to 12 years of service, right? So I think she probably was a dedicated civil servant and, and she is a dedicated civil servant. And at the end of her run, she probably spent less time in her, that 
office than she did in the city council office. But like uh, I was listening to an interview you did with Simon. I met with Simon. He's one of the other people running it. He said yeah, there's these all these barriers to entry to see these people. And that's not okay. And I would love to be as open and public facing as possible. Uh, I'd exactly. love to be able to communicate. That's exactly. Possible. It's 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 the one lesson. If you don't take anything away from or learn anything else from Rob Ford, that is the one lesson, accessibility. Because even as mayor, he didn't care if you were the richest person in the city or the poorest person in the city. If you had an issue, he saw to it. I, I personally have been in, uh, I, I grew up in housing. I grew up poor with mice and roaches and holes in the walls. So I understand that. And, and he, I've seen him go into apartments with these conditions and ask the management, what is going on here? Why isn't this fixed? What's taking so long? There's no, and look, look at what came of you. you. You have three kids and a wife and you're starting on these side projects. Community housing works and it helps lift people out of poverty and leaving it disabandoned and a disarray is an embarrassment. That's an embarrassment to our system. We pay so much in taxes and we keep getting told there's not enough for this. This needs to be redone. You can't do this. You can't do that. We don't, we cannot serve two masters at once. We need to either help the private builders or take it on our own hands. Housing is a huge issue. It's the biggest issue. It's probably 90 or probably 70% of the reason I'm running. I mean, try finding uh, an apartment right now without seeing more than 50% of your salary diminished. Is that what we want? When we like, for me, when I want a generation of Canadians to move forward, to have children, to prosper, I do not tax them 50% of their earnings. And then on top of that, even more on the social life aspect of growing up, the, you know, owning a pet, all these things we want to engage in. People need money in their pockets. It's simple as that. They don't need social programs that make safe spaces in museums with your money. A museum is a safe space. We spent $300,000 to make safe spaces in museums. What? Have you been to a museum? It's one of the safest places you can go. I don't understand. It's, I looked through the city budget and I saw a lot of miscellaneous here, money gone here, money gone there. A miscellaneous just means the accountant couldn't find out or figure out what was going on at that aspect. And they weren't able to do much about it because we spend money gluttonously. They don't have accountability. We don't have firms like uh, BCG or KPMG coming in and accounting the government books. They should be. We should, we should hold private in, or public service as, as accountable as we hold private service. Absolutely. This is in, my thought as an economist. A, a citywide city audit. That's what That's I think. Sure. I, I would totally love that. Rob Ford, when he came in, he said, you're having these lobster dinners. You have all these passes. You have all these. Why do we need all these things? And he's right. If you're not even going to, if, if, if there's such a trouble with you even connecting with your constituency outside once you get that vote, you're just there for the perks. You're not there for the job. Exactly. Yeah. Moving along, let's talk about transit. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've seen transit uh, expand into the north, into York region. I'm wondering if you would support transit going into the west, into Peel region, into the east and Durham region, and overall, what you see for transit in the next four years. So I lived in Mississauga, and the myway system for a bus system, from my experience, worked really well. But I think Mississauga is the second largest city in Ontario outside of Toronto. 
And I think we should connect the subway system. They have tried the Eglinton Express uh, way, which is a, a bus route that goes from Kipling. It takes Highway 427, then it gets off at, uh, I think, the Eglinton there, and it gets on, and it has a private roadway. If that can maintain services, I'm okay with that. You'd have to look at the numbers and see if it can handle expansion. But a lot of people from the Toronto core leave the city and go to work in Mississauga, same as people in Mississauga go to work in the city core. I believe spending money on public infrastructure is good. It's good to go into debt now. Building that subway to Vaughan, it, it was costly, but it does connect people in that area. I lived in Vaughan. Just to get to downtown Toronto was hectic. You had to go through two bus systems. Then you got to Downsview. And this was before Uber. Cabs were like 100, 130 bucks just to get out of there. And Vaughan has such a major expansion. You have the, the theme park up there, Canada's Wonderland, which mm -hmm. is part of the city and I think should be uh, have an access to for everybody in the city to access it. Fun for the whole family. And same with Mississauga. Mississauga is a major transit hub with the GO system. Integration of that and maybe either expansion of the GO line or even thinking about a subway line. I, I wouldn't say that's the worst thing in the world to explore. I think a subway line works efficiently. And one of my thoughts on transit is the Toronto subway line should maybe even start earlier. I take the bus at four in the morning. I take the bus at five in the morning. It's packed. It is packed on the Bloor line, and not just with people going to work, with people going to the airport, air stewardesses, uh, people going to work at uh, construction jobs, any type of job, blue collar, white collar, people trying to get to work. Some people start at six in the morning, even if you're in blue, white collar, because they're calling, say they're doing telemarketing and they're calling somewhere else, got a later time zone. So everybody can benefit from more transit and more access to transit. I, I think I'm seeing these lines be overpacked even in these early morning rush hour times from four to six. So that speaks to demand. Now, either we hire more drivers or do more bus lines, or maybe we think about expanding the subway service maybe later into the night. I think 2 a.m. is a good cutoff, but maybe start the subway blue line at 5 a.m. Why not? I, I think one hour would help because a lot of people do start work at six in the morning, especially people in trades. My father worked from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. often. It was a manufacturing shift. I would say. Absolutely. I like that. Um, moving along, let's talk about, uh, I want to talk about the unhoused and affordable housing. Now, I'm sure uh, you, like me, watched in horror as the mayor ordered the police into Trinity Bellwoods Park yeah. and removed the people, threw out their stuff and robbed them of the only thing that they had left at that point, and that was their dignity. And I'm just wondering your opinion on on what can we do to help them as a society? Because I got to be honest with you, man, I go downtown. I, yeah. I, I do give money. There are some ones I, I, that I don't give money to, but I do give money. I wish I could give money to everybody, but I just don't have it. I, but even though I give the money, I feel like I can do more. We can do more as a society, but, but what exactly is that? And, 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 and removing all the politics for a minute, seriously, what what's the right decision and and for the affordability um the uh, affordable housing aspect <clears throat> um so every new condo that goes up in the last 10 years is supposed to have an affordable housing contingent whether it's five percent ten percent whatever the number is um and i found out recently there's a legal loophole and 
So if the developer, whomever is selling the condos, sells five that five to ten percent, whatever the number is, at or below market value, that's technically considered affordable housing. Oh, and beautiful. That, that's the legal loophole that I, I believe needs to be closed. And all that's, so now I'm going to be quiet and I'd love to hear your opinion on everything I just uh, talked about. Okay. So poverty is an aspect of inability for economic opportunity. What? The, when you raise the economic outcome of everyone, a rising tide lifts all boats. So number one, we can't have someone working $14 an hour and not available to afford housing. That's the start of poverty. That's the low tier end. That is one part. We need to make sure that they're looked after and there is a way that they can have access, maybe not to low income, but even middle income housing. So that's the, if you're making between 30 to 50, maybe 55, or you have a dependent on top of that, you're, you're very much scraping at the bottom. It's very hard to get by. So first we handle the tiers of poverty. Now, when it comes to abject poverty, the homeless in the street, we need number one, enforcement. Number two, we need statistical analysis. We need to understand who these people are. And there is a law in the books called vagrancy. We need to get these people identified, counted and accounted for. And we need to find out why they're homeless. I really believe that it's just like you we aren't listened to in city council. These people aren't even looked at on the street. We don't look at them and we just walk by. So if we could get a fair estimate and knowledge to what's going on behind it, because there's a two aspects there. It's either mental health or drugs. Now, drugs, we can at least provide safe needles. Uh, they have access to the healthcare. The system does intake for them. And in the emergency and we can get by. But number two is if they have mental health issues, we need to, as a society, look at how we look at mental health. I mean, nowadays, everybody on Instagram has trauma, but these people are, they're suffering a lot and maybe they can no longer uh, be able to take care of themselves. I mean, at Humber College used to be a sanatorium. Now I'm not advocating to bring those back, but looking at and coming up with a solution where we can make these people productive and remember they have value because some of these people lose the thought that they have value even we as human beings lose that thought sometimes if we just put humanity into it and have private organizations like churches who do a lot of funding for the poor and we help them out and we build community we can help out each other uh, I totally believe that. Now it's it's hard for even me to know my neighbor, uh, let alone the person in the street. And I know that sounds like political rhetoric, but it's true uh, that even if we're not going to spend the money on the economic analysis, we're not going to expand the healthcare outcome to these people. These people have proven they're not able to take care of themselves. They will camp in the park and they will amass amass there, group up together. If you even know the story of Toronto Island and how it got housing was a lot of people couldn't afford housing and weren't able to. So they set up camps in Toronto Island and the rich wanted to kick them out. And they said, we're not going anywhere. And that's why there's housing on Toronto Island, which has now become expensive housing, but that's another story. But it, it's like, these people have value and, and they even form their own enclaves because they see within each other. I mean, they're enlisting in negative behavior, but 
We need to show these people that they can have value. If they try, the system will reward them. It's, it's simple. That's why my parents came to Canada. That's why many immigrants that I studied with and even lived with, they came to Canada for opportunity. And sometimes even we who live here need to be reminded that the system can benefit you. And if you have mental health issues or if you have addiction issues, we should look after you. That's the promise we made to the poor. I mean, they need our help. It's just, I think it's part of society. And if we don't, we will, it will get worse. The, the, looking away from the problem has never helped the problem. It hasn't helped with my weight gain during COVID. It didn't help with the, the uh, egregious spending in city council. If we just ignore things, they will not get fixed. Accountability is key. We need to have objective outcomes. What are we going to reduce it to? Where are we going to move them? How are we going to get them involved? I can have a 17-step program and do nothing, and then I can call it a success. But frontline engagement, community engagement, and even helping and supporting the systems that are already there, outside of maybe just giving them money, like a good example could be if we made it mandatory in high school that you had to go and engage more in your community. When I lived in America, I lived in America for a brief period, a couple of years when I was growing up, you in health class have to get volunteering hours. Make that even more aggressive. Volunteering is a great, it gives you job experience. I had to work in a library and now I love libraries. They're my favorite economic system and economic uh, outpouring. I love libraries, I love going to libraries. I love using them as offices. I love reading there. I love renting books. Keep libraries, expand them. For me, I, I would love that because it even helps the poor too. When the poor need uh, kind of access from heat or cold, they can go into a library. So uh, more community outreach, more community service and more volunteer pressure, I would say. Absolutely. I, I, I like that. I really, really like that. Uh, moving along, I want to talk about crime and police. Uh, you know, I'm interested to know your your thoughts on uh, Toronto's uh, crime rate, um, what the police aren't doing, what they could be doing better, and overall, uh, your just your overall opinion, I guess. So, crime is there's, I guess, two aspects crime the local level and then the gang level and the higher up level i mean there's also white collar crimes we won't get into that for general city day to day um we in toronto i think it's generally not an unsafe city for the most part i still feel safe walking in toronto at night but as that said we can see that crime is going up a little bit and i have no issue with spending more on the Toronto police budget and, and having them do more enforcement and more community outreach. I am a-okay with that because part of economic prosperity is economic security. You can operate better as an individual, as a business, and as a city when you have more economic security. It just leads to freedom. So I would love to, I mean, even where I live, at DuPont and Lansdowne, it's a great example. Drive by here. You'll see at night, there's some hooligans that hang out here. Why not throw a cop there every once in a while? Why not change up things? Now, yeah. Well, it, it's interesting that you say that because, uh, so just real quick, I used to live in the former Ward 6, which is now Ward okay. 3, Etobicoke Lakeshore. Yes. Uh, we, I, we lived there for 13 years. I used to live there as well. 
And I got to tell you, the last four or five years that we lived there, the violence that surrounds the, you know what, I'm not afraid, I'll say it, the violence that surrounds the the co-ops at Lakeshore and 10th Street are out of control. You know, we lived in a co-op behind a, a condo building. We had one of our neighbors shot in broad daylight walking to the store. There's drug dealing happening across the street at the basketball court. People are shooting into the apartment buildings. And one time the shooting started, we thought our son was in the park. And thank God he wasn't, but we didn't know at the time. Now, every time there's a holiday, they uh, they get out all the, I don't know what to call them. So I'll call them gangsters. I don't know what to call them. Uh, neighborhood kids, uh, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Um they all get fireworks. They buy all these fireworks and then they go around in some sort of a war, war game style n- nature and they're shooting each other with the fireworks. I, I guess it's a game, but they're also shooting innocent bystanders that walk by. They're shooting cars that drive by, TTC buses. They're even brazen enough to shoot police cars and the police cars don't do anything. I'm sorry, but I'm going to sit here and call out 22 Division as the worst police station in the entire city. Okay. All those complaints are fair. These people, their job, the government and the cops have a monopoly on violence. And if need be, they need to enact it. And that means enforcement. I did deal with that branch of law services Uh, I had issues with a roommate I lived with who was violent. I saw some of the ineptitude of the police. But again, the way we combat these things is by actually more training, more uh, nonviolent and responsive units, more community health units. I remember I had a neighbor. He was a preacher. His name was Barry. And he really dealt with a lot of the gang violence of Jane and Finch. And he actually exposed to me that a lot of this violence is perpetuated by the music industry because they will call each other out in certain songs and insignias, and they will talk about certain blocks they own. Now, the truth is these uh, unproductive kind of shenanigans that can lead to violence and death, it needs to be made clear that again, same as we talked about with the homeless, they need to see the opportunity. The reason why I didn't get involved in violent and you know, illegitimate aspects was because I thought to myself, I can better myself. I can work hard. These people need mentorship. I know it's hard to say, but if they're not getting mentorship, if their community is not uplifting them, but bringing them down, you are a product of the company you keep. So we need to hold these communities accountable. We need to go in and Maybe do more. I, I even I don't have the answer. That is a complex issue. But from books I've read, I remember Freakonomics. They were talking about some of the illegitimate drug trade in Chicago, and they found that some of these guys are making less than minimum wage employees at McDonald's. So if you just explain to these people the economic opportunity, and we benefited them for their labor, I guarantee if you were paid more and you could enjoy things better, you wouldn't be shooting your friends and your neighbors and trying to rap in TikToks and videos. You might become a plumber and you know get a better job, benefit your community, starve a family. 
the goal in capitalism is to make more income, acquire property, and prosper. That's right. Start a business, do whatever you so please. But these people have been shown, not these people, but in general, these groups that engage in these kind of acts of violence and these gangs, they look to these gangs and these dark realms of money and quick money as an easy way out. It's, commun it's, it's community outreach. It's knowing your neighbor. It's, 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 it sounds so simple, yet it's so hard to do because it involves all of us. Even when I lived in that area, I lived at uh, Lakeshore and Kipling. Uh, I had someone say to me, you know, I'm glad it, uh, the, the apartment is so cheap around here. I just wish they got rid of the co-op. Well, the apartment is cheap because there is the co-op. So you cannot have one without the other. If you want to benefit your community where you live, put in effort. We just think to ourselves, the city has become an in and out door. You come in, you pay too much rent somewhere, you find a partner and you leave. There's no community. The only community that's built is people that have bought homes either 20, 30 years ago before the boom or people that bought in at a high price now that can afford it. And if, if it's the second group, they will gentrify the neighborhood. You'll see it. Right now, if you go to Lakeshore and Kipling, they have put in way more expensive condos. They've opened a Starbucks and a yoga studio. That's going to drive out, drive up the prices drive out the co-ops and eventually they'll lose. So we need to better the co-ops. We need to make public housing not something you laugh at, not something you shake down at. In Vienna, public housing is vast so throughout the whole city and they're beautiful public housing and it's a mentality. We have a capitalistic mentality. So it's going to be always to benefit economics. Like it's just profit always wins, profit or efficiency. And the most profitable thing will be to do is to get rid of that co-op and put in more condos. And that's it. Then you have no low-income people. That's it. And then who will be working at these jobs? Maybe in, in the heads of some of these people and developers will be robots, but people need to work. And people need to work low-skilled jobs. They need to have access to low-skilled jobs and low-skilled trends. This is society. I, all my opponents, I'm not going to, but we have this general, it's a, yeah, we're going to help this, the low-income. What are we doing? I would like action. I'd like something done. It's nothing is done. It seems very little is done. It seems very little is communicated. When I needed to get a vaccine, there were billboards everywhere. Well, everybody's screaming for low-income housing. Where are the billboards? I'd like some low-income housing billboards. I'd like to talk about that. Sorry if I'm getting a little passionate. But oh, I love it. I love when it comes through the microphone. I love that. Um, I, I, I agree with you 100%. You're you're absolutely right. You know we had vac we had we needed vaccines. There was there sorry they needed us to take the vaccine. We all took it, but in order to encourage us, there was billboards everywhere. I have you know, never seen such a campaign like that. It was like we were having the Olympics for vaccines. Yes. What is going on? I I, I don't know. Just I'm, wa found, I'm wondering. I'm wondering what the cost was. I'm wondering. Oh, they're not going to tell you, and it will go to some lobbyist who spend millions of dollars to come up with drawings and scribbles. It's become a game of who can suck the teeth of government the most. This is what we've come to because we're not holding anybody accountable. If this was you or my wallet and they were spending, I would take that wallet from the person in charge, you know, knock some sense to them and tell them, you know what, you're not in charge of the money anymore. But like you said, there was a Sarah uh, that was in the park. When she asked Mayor Tory about getting people involved with the budgetary process, they said, oh, you don't need to do that. That's not for you. That's all of our money. Of course it's for us. I mean, our city should be ours. There should be an accountability for it. That The culture shouldn't just become from being disappointed by the Toronto Maple Leafs. It should come from all of us working together and being a better city. Absolutely. I Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with all of that. 
accessibility and accountability are two of the front running issues. I mean, all the other issues are important. I'm not, I'm not uh, 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 backsliding any of them, but accountability and accessibility. And are, affordability. I love the three. And affordability. Yeah, those are basically the three big issues for this election. So for anyone that's listening, and I know you guys are, I hope you're, I hope you take that into I, this whole thing. I hope you guys are listening and you take all that into account when it's your turn to vote. Um, I mean, there's a, there's an, a, just out of fourth A, the disappointment, there's apathy. I remember there's a Greek quote. If you don't take an interest in politics, politics will take an interest in you. No, we don't care anymore. It's the, it, there's just such a general sense of apathy and, and only people that come from a foreign country or the elderly seem to actually vote. When I meet someone who's young, with, I mean, I, I can't say I knew that much about municipal politics at 18. At 18, I was just being a kid, learning my way. But as I got older and older, and I guess I stepped out, you got to look at the statistics. 50% of 18 to 30 year olds live at home. I live on my own. So I've seen the burden of living on your own, trying to make it, trying to, you know, come up in the city. And right now, a lot of our generation is unable and they can't afford to have children. There's a movement called antinatalism because we don't want to have children because they're too expensive. So we buy dogs instead to fill that need. But I think our society needs children. I think children are awesome. They're cool. They grow up in a cool people like me and you, and they can better our society. And, and having children should be a priority, number one, federally, provincially, and locally. Yes, immigration can supplant some stuff, but some of the grass has got to be grown at home, right? Absolutely. I, yeah, sorry. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I was wondering if you had a website done yet you can share with the listeners where they can uh, contact you and get, ask you any questions or suggestions or comments. And uh, uh, if you want to share that, go ahead. Yeah, so my website is www.jacobmaydansky.com. That's J-A-C-O-B-M-A-Y-D-A-N-S-K-Y, sky, like S-K-Y.com. Also, my Instagram is at Jacob Maydansky. Uh, and then I have a Twitter. I don't really use it. But contact me on Instagram or email me at Jacob for Davenport. J-A-C-O-B for the number four, Davenport, D-A-V-E-N-P-O-R-T.com. Uh, I would love money. I would love suggestions. I would love discussion and discourse. And I would love suggestions. Even the reason why I was able to discuss that uh, the opinion about the hockey rink was a guy named Philip emailed me and said, what are you going to do about the hockey rink? What are you going to do about the community oven? Well, I mean, I don't know. Let's figure it out, work together and try and get it done. That's what I, I want to do. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's a shame hockey rink. And, and sorry, you said they're, they're putting a condo up. That's the uh, They're going to restructure it. And what they want to do is an ice path uh, and then a smaller rink and then developments there. I think they want to re redo the center. There is what they're mm -hmm. generally trying to do. So, yeah. So any, any closing thing that you'd like to say uh, to the listeners, go ahead. Um, I love all of you and I wish you all well. And I think that we have tougher times ahead with our economy, with rising interest rates and with rising interest rates might come higher unemployment. And I generally want more accountability and more affordability. These are things my father discussed in the 90s. These are things he discussed in the 2000s, and these are, these are things I'm learning to this day. Um, I just want people to have more money in their pocket to prosper and grow. 
And I don't want Calgary having radio ads telling people to leave for opportunity. The opportunity should be fought for here. That's what I think. And if we work together, if we actually look out for one another and actually try and build something better than ourselves, we can be a better city. But if it's going to come down to who can fill their pockets the fastest, who can win the most, who can cheat or scam somebody else out of something, you won't prosper. So if I could end with anything, go outside and meet your neighbor. That's it. Go outside, meet your neighbor, say hello. Just that. You'd be surprised by what you can do doing that. My security guard in my building, Lucky, he comes from Nigeria. And when I tell him I'm running for politics, the light in his eye glows so great. And you can see how so many people come from so many disenfranchised areas of the world. And they just want opportunity. They want uh, political recourse and discussion. They want people to try and get ahead. I, I don't like this apathy. And I, I, even if I win or lose, it's an experience for a man. Uh, much love to everyone. My name is Jacob Medanski. I'm running for board Board. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to thank you so much for this interview. You know, um, trusting me to facilitate the process. You know, election night for me is usually uh, something that I love. It's like my Christmas. I sit and I watch not just the mayoral race. I watch the ward races too. And with this year, you know, I want I want to pay attention much closer to obviously the people I've interviewed, but everyone in general as well. I'll have to do that remotely because I won't be in the country uh, on the election date, unfortunately. So I will be taking advantage of the early voting. Again, guys, it's October 7th to the 14th and election day is the 24th. Uh, Jacob, I wish you all the luck on your campaign trail. Much love. Um, and, you know, I'll be, I'll be watching, paying attention. I can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, it'll be fun. Thanks for the interview. Thank <laughs> you.